Well, hey, I am so excited to be with you guys today, and my family is excited to be in Oklahoma. We've had a fun week being here, getting all the staff and the leadership here, and we are looking forward to what God has in store. Let me tell you something. Great days are ahead for First Church, and I just cannot wait to see what God has planned for us. Now, we are a church in multiple locations, so if you guys would, right here at North Garnett, if you would put your hands together, and let's welcome our family in Vertigris and Stone Canyon this morning. Before we leave here today, I want you to walk away with three words ringing in your ears, three words planted deep within your soul, three words etched on your heart, and those three words are, listen to Him. No matter what, no matter where you find yourself, no matter who you're with, no matter where you may be going, always, always listen to Him. A few years ago, before Alice and I had kids, we were at home one evening, and the doorbell rang. So I went to check and see who it was, and I looked out the window, and there was this elderly lady standing there who I didn't recognize. I didn't know her. So I opened up the door, and she was holding a freshly baked pie, which she just handed to me. She didn't say a word. She just handed it to me. And I thought, well, I like free food. Come on in, you know. And so she hands me this pie, and then I kind of stop her because I think, I don't know this woman. I'm not sure exactly why she's here. And I was like, ma'am, may I help you? And she said, well, I'm here for the party. Now, something you need to know about Allison and me. We are party animals, but we weren't having a party there that night, so I knew this one was at the wrong house. And I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but I think maybe you have the wrong house. And she said, no. She said, I'm here for Brenda's party. And I said, well, ma'am, there's no one here named Brenda, and there's no party scheduled. I really think you're at the wrong house. And she was like, listen, stop kidding around with me. I've been to Brenda so-and-so's house dozens of times. This is where Brenda lives. And when she said the last name, Brenda so-and-so, I knew exactly who she was talking about. There was this woman who lived down the street. We just always called her Mrs. So-and-so. We never used her first name. And I knew then she's definitely at the wrong house. So I looked at this lady and I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, you do have the wrong house. You're looking for Brenda so-and-so. She's a couple houses down. I pointed to where Brenda lived. And so this lady took a step out of my front door and she looked down the street to the house that I pointed at. She looked back at me, still holding her freshly baked pie, looked at our house. Then she looked back down the street at Brenda's house. And then she looked back at our house one more time. And she looked at me and said, young man, I hate to say this, but can I have my pie back? You know, we've all had moments in life when we, for whatever reason, have refused to listen. And if you're like me, when you've had those moments, you've probably gotten into some trouble. And I think that's especially true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. What I've discovered over time is that there is a huge difference between knowing who Jesus is and listening to Him. And I think that was the case for Peter, James, and John, three of Jesus' closest disciples and followers in Matthew chapter 17. And that's where we're going to be camped out this morning. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go and look up with me Matthew 17. That's where we're going to study today. And we're going to look at a moment in Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, that was just incredible. And Peter, James, and John got to witness this incredible moment. But I think all this happened so that they would learn to better listen to the one they claim to follow. Matthew chapter 17 starts off with these words, verse 1. 
After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, let's pause there for a second. Most of you Bible students in the room know that every passage has its proper context, so it's important to read both before and after a passage to know what's going on. And Matthew 17, verse 1, starts off the way it does with Jesus taking these three men, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain because of what had just happened in Matthew chapter 16. See, Matthew 16 contains this well-known, famous conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus asks his disciples one question. He asks, who do people say I am? Now, there's a reason why Jesus asked that question, because we're entering into the third year of Jesus' ministry now. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to be arrested and suffer and die for the sins of the whole world. And so now the disciples have been with Jesus for over two years. By this point, they should know who he is. By this point, they should have formed an opinion about him. And so Jesus wants to know, after them being with him 24-7, eating with him and sleeping where he slept and listening to him teach and witnessing all these miracles, after being with him 24-7, who am I? And isn't that an important question? I mean, isn't that the question? Isn't that the question that defines what life is all about? Who is Jesus? And let me ask you this morning, what's your conclusion about Jesus? Because how you answer that question, it'll change your life. It'll change how you live. So Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And one disciple speaks up and he says, well, some people say you're a prophet. Another disciple spoke up and, well, some people say you're a prophet come back from the dead, like Jeremiah or Elijah, maybe even John the Baptist come back from the dead. And, and Peter says, I mean, Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that's what everyone else is saying about me. Who do you, he makes it personal, who do you say I am? And it's Peter that then speaks up. And Peter nails it. He gets the right answer. Now, Peter says a lot of dumb stuff, honestly. When you read about Peter throughout Scripture, he often says the wrong thing. But not this time. Peter got it right. And Peter says in Matthew 16, verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's on fire that day. And Jesus compliments Peter and says, you're absolutely right. This truth that you just said, this isn't something you came up with. This isn't something that has been developed by men. This is a truth that has come straight from heaven. This is one of Peter's greatest days. He nails it. He's on fire. He gets the right answer. But I have to wonder. Peter had the right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But did he really know what he was saying? Did he really know the meaning behind that? See, on my wedding day, I knew what it meant to be married. I mean, I had read books on marriage. I had seen other people get married and be married. Uh, I grew up in a home with Christian parents who had a healthy, godly marriage. I even had a class in Bible college called Marriage and Family. I was an expert on marriage after that, right? On my wedding day, I knew what it meant to be married. But I had no idea until I actually got married how much being married would change my entire identity. Allison is still trying to teach me how that's supposed to change me, you know? I had no idea. You mothers in the room today, before you had your own baby, you knew what it meant to be a mother. I mean, you had maybe had the chance to babysit on occasion. Maybe you'd helped raise a younger sibling or two. You had seen other people be mothers. You knew what it was like to have a baby. I mean, you had sat through health class and watched those videos that give you nightmares for years, right? You knew what it was to be a mother. But I guarantee it wasn't until you held your baby in your arms that you realized just how being a mother 
would change your entire life, change your entire identity. See, Peter, he knows who Jesus is. But I'm afraid he hasn't come to the realization yet of how much that's going to change his identity, change who he is. And the reason why I say that is because of what happens next in Matthew chapter 16. See, Jesus then goes on after Peter makes his great confession that he's the Christ. Jesus then goes on to teach the disciples further. And he says, well, listen, the reason why I want to make sure you know this is because I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to have to suffer, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die for the sins of the whole world, but it's okay, I'm going to rise again. And he's explaining all this. He's warning them about what's getting ready to take place. And you know how Peter responds to that? Peter says, never, Lord, never. We're never going to let this happen to you. We won't let you be arrested. We won't let you uh, suffer. We won't let you die. Never, Lord. We will never let this happen to you. Not going to happen. You remember how Jesus responded to Peter? Matthew 16, 23. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, Jesus makes this statement, calling Peter Satan, right after he's praised Peter for making the good confession. Peter goes from having his best day to his worst day. And I think that's because Peter, even though he knew Jesus, Peter really didn't know Jesus. See, what we have to understand is just because you know a lot about Jesus, facts, Maybe you can quote him. Maybe you know events about his life. Doesn't mean you really know him. Doesn't mean you really have a relationship with him. Just because you know a lot about Jesus doesn't mean you really know him. We came to... Uh, Oklahoma just about a week or so ago and we arrived at Tulsa Airport last Friday, not this past Friday, but this last Friday, about 4.45 or so and but there's a huge group from the church waiting there for us. It was really awesome and that was encouraging to my family. But even though we arrived at the airport at 4.45 by 7 o'clock that night we were at the Owasso Rams football game. They're trying to indoctrinate us right off the bat and we had a lot of fun. Now we don't own anything that's Owasso color so here's a picture of my family at the game. We were in our Kentucky blue. If you want to up on screen. There you go. We were in our Kentucky blue. That's all we own. It was either that or freeze to death. So we wore our hats and our jackets that all had UK on it. But still, it was a fun game. And of course, Owasso won. And then they won again last night. I mean, how awesome is that? I'm not even from here, but go Rams. You know, I'm excited. But even though we don't own anything uh, that was Owasso Rams colors, uh, Steph Thomason did give my son Alex a cowbell that says Owasso Rams on it. And so he rang that cowbell the entire night. And he asked me, just the other day, he was like, Daddy, when I grow up, will I be an Owasso Ram? I was like, well, buddy, I hope it works out and you will be. I hope so. But you know, it's interesting. When we were at the game that night, all these people kept coming up to us, and they knew us. Hey, you must be Chad and Allison. You're from Kentucky, and we know you like this, and you went to school there. They knew all this stuff about us. But let me ask you, did any of those people really know us? Of course not. They read the bio that the church put out on us. You know, that was it. And they knew that they didn't really know us. And we knew they didn't really know us. They knew a lot about us, didn't know us. And I'm afraid, sadly, that describes a lot of people's relationship with Jesus. They know a lot about him. They can quote him. They know the stories about him. But they really don't know him. And I think that's why Jesus does what he does in Matthew chapter 17. 
Jesus is leading Peter, James, and John on a journey to discover what it means to really know him as Lord. So, Peter, so Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain for this incredible moment. And while they're on the mountain spending this intimate time with Jesus, these three disciples, the other gospel accounts tell us, fall asleep. Now, I'm not surprised by that. You might be thinking, how in the world could they be with Jesus in this intimate moment and they fall asleep? I'm not surprised by that. I preach for a living. Every single Sunday, people fall asleep on me and something good is going on up here. And yet, they fall asleep. So I'm not surprised at that at all. These three disciples, they fall asleep, though they're there in Jesus' presence, but something wakes them up. Matthew 17, verse 2 tells us what wakes them up. Matthew writes, there he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Now, the disciples fell asleep, but something woke them up. And what woke them up was light brighter than the sun, penetrating through their eyelids. You ever been dead asleep and something startles you and it wakes you up and you can't go back to sleep after that? A few summers ago, my family, we borrowed a friend of ours camper and we went camping for a week of vacation. And we had fun. First time we had ever done that. Uh, But everything went well except for one night. One night while we were in the camper, there was a tornado watch. And you need to know something about me. (laughs) I'm going to admit something here. I have a horrible fear of heavy wind. I really do. Now, I know. I moved to Oklahoma. I mean, I understand. I know. But I'm telling you this to let you know I'm here because it's a God thing, not a Chad thing. Because I I mean, I'm going to make sure whatever house we buy we have a storm shelter okay that's just me but we're in the camper and this fierce wind hits the camper shakes the whole thing I'm up there is no going back to sleep the storm passed I was up the rest of the night and morning watching the tv make sure nothing else was coming you know I was wide awake now Allison and Alex they slept through the whole thing but I was awake the rest of the night you ever been woke up like that and you couldn't go back to sleep I think that's Peter James and John here except what woke them up wasn't a fierce wind What woke them up was light brighter than the sun. And this light wasn't coming from the sun. It was coming from their mentor, their teacher, their friend, Jesus. Jesus is standing before them blazing with supernova brilliance. And I can't imagine what that would have been like to have seen. Mark, in his gospel account, he tries to give us a description of what this looked like. And in Mark 9, verse 3, he writes, His clothes, Jesus' clothes, became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Now, that sounds more like a Tide commercial to me than anything else. But I think what Mark here is doing is he is stretching language to its limit. He doesn't know how else to describe what these disciples saw. Now, I want you to realize something. This is not a vision or a dream. Strange things happen in visions and dreams. This is not a vision or a dream. This is reality. They are seeing this happen before their very eyes. But what happens next is even more incredible. Verse 3 of Matthew 17. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Dead guys talking to a living guy. That's always a pretty incredible thing. But these aren't just any dead guys. It's Moses and Elijah. 
These are two larger-than-life Old Testament figures. Every Orthodox Jew who was raised in the first century would have known about Moses and Elijah. Moses was the greatest of the lawgivers. He represented the entire law. Uh, Elijah was the greatest of the prophets. He represented all the prophets of the Old Testament. A lot of times when Jews in the first century referred to the Old Testament, they didn't call it the Old Testament at that point, but they referred to it as the law and the prophets. Here are these two larger-than-life heroes of the Old Testament that they would have known and loved and respected standing before their very eyes. But here's the thing. It's not Moses or Elijah that's glowing like the sun. It's Jesus. And they're having a conversation with him. Now there was a day when Moses' face did shine like the sun. Remember when he came off the mountain to be with God? And the people were scared of Moses. Hide your face from us. But you see, Moses wasn't glowing like the sun because he was the source of that light. It's because he was reflecting the glory of God, which he had just experienced. There is a day when Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven and lit up the night sky. But again, Elijah wasn't the source of that light. God was. In this moment, Jesus, their friend, their mentor, their teacher, is shining like the sun. And he's not reflecting anything. He's the very source of life. Well, that's a whole lot to process. And Peter's there, and Peter still isn't grasping everything. We probably wouldn't have either. And Peter at this point is still as impressed with Moses and Elijah as he is with Jesus. And so Peter speaks up and says in verse 4 of Matthew 17, Lord, it is good for us to be here. This is great. I'm loving this. this is, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, what's Peter doing here? He is basically putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. Let me build three shrines here. One for you, Jesus. One for Moses. One for Elijah. And we're going to worship all three of you. Now, some people learn by listening and observing. Peter learned by saying the wrong things. And that's exactly what's going on here. In fact, Luke, when he tells this story, he gives us this little comment, Luke 9, 33. Peter did not know what he was saying. Now, I love that because I think that's Luke's very polite and nice way of saying, uh, Peter, he could sometimes be an idiot. And you know what? I can identify with Peter. Because there have been times in my life when I thought I knew what I was talking about, and I really didn't. When Alice and I were engaged, our families threw us several different showers, and we went to one wedding shower uh, that was thrown by my side of the family, and there were going to be a lot of family members there that I hadn't seen for years, and so I wanted to impress Allison, and we got there, and I'm going down the room and introducing her to everyone. And so I looked in the corner of my eye, and I saw this lady that I didn't recognize. I didn't know who she was, but I knew she had to be part of our family. And so I turned to my mom, who was close by, and I said, Mom, who is that? And she said, well, that's so-and-so, your second cousin. That's his wife. And I was like, oh, okay, he's married to Amy. I don't know if I've ever met Amy, but okay, um, I'll make sure I introduce Allison to her. So we keep going around the room. I'm introducing her to people, and we get to Amy. And so I said, and Allison, this is Amy, so-and-so's wife. And Amy just gave me this horrible, horrible look. I mean, she looked like she could kill me. And I knew I'd said something wrong and I wasn't sure what I'd said and then she spoke up and goes Amy was his first wife I'm his second wife <laughs> oh okay I've messed up what do I do cover it with a joke and so I came back and I said well I bet you've been called worse and she looked at me and said no not really 
I thought, well, I guess we won't be getting a Christmas card from them this year, but uh, I was quite embarrassed. You ever had one of those moments when you thought you knew exactly what you were talking about, but you really didn't? I've had those moments spiritually, and probably you have too. You see, I think one of the biggest problems in the church today is sometimes we become very content with our relationship with Jesus. And we think we know him well enough only to realize later that we didn't know him at all. At least not like we thought we knew him. Never get to the point in life where you think you know Jesus well enough. Because when you become content with the depth of your relationship with Jesus, you're headed for spiritual life support. Guys, I still don't know how much more I need to know about Jesus, but I know one thing. I'm never going to stop growing in my relationship with him. I want to know him more every single day. I am hungry to know him on a deeper level every single day. And I've been in churches before. I've visited places. I've gone and spoke to leaderships in the past where the guys act like, the leadership of these churches act like, hey, we pretty much got this Jesus thing all figured out. Yeah, we pretty much got this Christianity thing all figured out. And they act like that they know Jesus well enough. And I'm looking at their churches and they're dead churches. Or at least their churches on spiritual life support. Never get to the point where you think you know Jesus well enough. Continue to want to know him more. Now, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if Jesus is the most important thing in your life or not. But I want to ask, what what I want to ask is not whether or not you believe in him or know him, but is there a disconnect between what you believe about Jesus and how you live your life? Because I think that was the case for Peter. And that's why God does what he does next in verses 5 through 6 of Matthew chapter 17. If we read on, the text says, While he was still speaking, while Peter is still acting like a fool, while Peter is still running his mouth, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. Now, the cloud here represents the presence of God. And basically what's going on here is Peter is speaking, saying things he should not be saying, and God interrupts Peter. God stops Peter. I wish back at that wedding shower someone would have interrupted me before I made a fool of myself. God interrupts Peter in this moment as he's still speaking. And he doesn't just interrupt him through a cloud. God in this moment audibly speaks. Now, this is a rare thing. This doesn't happen a lot in the New Testament. In fact, in the four Gospels, there are only three times that God ever audibly speaks from the heavens. So when God speaks, God the Father speaks in this way, we better pay attention to what he says. And what's interesting to me is what God says to these disciples in Matthew chapter 17 is very similar to something he's already said from the heavens in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember what I said? We're at the end of Jesus' ministry. We're entering the third year. Jump back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was baptized and he first started preaching and all that. Remember what happened when Jesus was baptized? The heavens opened up, the Spirit descended like a dove, and God the Father spoke. And what did God say? Matthew 3, 17. This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Sound familiar? It's the exact thing he said in Matthew 17, verbatim, except in Matthew 17, God adds on another phrase at the end. God adds on three more words. Matthew 17, 5, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's as if God is saying, I've already declared who he is. 
I've already revealed to you who He is. You've been with Him 24-7. You've listened to Him teach. You've seen Him do all these miracles. You've already confessed that you know He's the Messiah, that He is my Son. You know who He is. Now it's time for you to start listening to Him. In other words, now it's time for you to give control of your life to Him. For you to start letting Him lead. For you to put aside your agendas and your plans and your schemes for life and actually listen to Him. Two of the greatest Old Testament heroes are there before their eyes. Moses and Elijah. And God points past Moses and Elijah and says, Listen to my son. Listen to Jesus. There was a day when the earth opened up and God swallowed up the people because they would not listen to Moses. There was a day when God held back rain from the sky for an extended period of time and there was a drought over the entire land because people wouldn't listen to Elijah. But now, in this moment, God looks past Moses and Elijah and he says, listen to my son. Most of you who are listening to this message today, you know who Jesus is. You've probably told people about Jesus. Peter, he knew who Jesus was. Most of you in the room today, you believe in Jesus. In fact, you've made that same confession that Jesus Christ that Peter made back in Matthew 16. You believe in Jesus. Peter believed in Jesus. My question today is not, do you know who Jesus is? My question today is not, do you believe in Jesus? My question is, are you listening to him? Because there is a seismic difference between believing in Jesus and listening to him. Now, don't misunderstand me. When I ask, are you listening to him, I'm not asking you to wait for an audible voice from above or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus has already spoken to us. We have his message. We have his word. We have his truth in God's word, in the Bible. Through the pages of Scripture, Jesus continues to speak to us. And yes, God's word may be fixed, but it is not dead. It is still very much alive. It still has the power to transform our hearts. And that's why Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and is active. Jesus has already spoken to us and continues to speak to us through his word. But are we really listening? And I think the reason sometimes why we struggle to listen to Jesus, to pay attention to Him, is because there are so many distracting voices out there competing for our attention. Some of those voices come from within. The voice of pleasure whispers, please yourself. The voice of riches says, comfort yourself. The voice of pride says, promote yourself. The voice of arrogance shouts, trust yourself. And there are also outside voices that are competing for our attention. My dad talks about a day when there were only three television stations. Anybody remember there were just three television stations? Okay, a good number of you, all right. My dad said, we got a fourth television station, and everybody thought the world was going to come to an end. You know, it was crazy. And in our day and age, not only are there hundreds and hundreds of television stations, there's Hulu, Netflix, Wikipedia, Facebook, texting, Snapchat, Instagram, and Yahoo Voices, just to name a few. And you know what all of those voices want? They want you to listen. They're not there just to entertain. They're not there just to inform. They want to influence you. They want you to listen. And all of those voices claim to know what's best for your life. 
All those voices claim to know how you need to behave. All those voices claim to know the opinions that you need to hold. And in a world where there are so many voices, billions of voices crying out to us, competing for our attention, do you know what voice we're supposed to listen to? Do you know what voice we're supposed to respond to? God's answer is this, listen to him, listen to my son, listen to Jesus. I love how this passage ends. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, this voice from above, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came, and he touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, when they opened their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus. Moses and Elijah are gone. The bright light's gone. The cloud's gone. They saw no one but Jesus. There's coming a day when every other voice is going to go silent. And on that day when all of life is clarified and everything comes into focus, your heart will break if you've been listening to any voice besides Jesus' voice. Because on that day, when all the days of your life are gone and everything that you've lived for is gone and everything that you've experienced is gone, On that day when all of life comes into focus, the only thing that will matter is if you've been listening to Jesus. When I first started preaching, I was a teenager, and I just want to experience to preach. I love to preach. I'd preach to anybody who would listen. In fact, I would have preached to trees if people didn't think I was crazy. I just love to preach. And I remember the senior minister of the church where my family attended, he came to me and he said, uh, Chad, there's this Christian nursing home and they have a Sunday service every week and they love to have people come and guest speak for them. Would you want to volunteer some time and go speak? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. It'd be awesome. And so I went and I was excited. I had a fun experience going and preaching those nursing home residents. I really fell in love with them and they loved me. And the thing is, I could preach the same sermon over and over again. They didn't know. It was fine. Uh, but we had a blast. But I didn't realize when I got there the first time I didn't realize that when you volunteered to lead a service, you were leading the entire service. You weren't just speaking. You led the singing. You did the welcome, the prayers. You served communion, took up the offering, did the invitation. You preached. You did everything. And so I got there and realized that. And so that first day, I'm going around during the communion time, and I'm serving the Lord's Supper to these residents. And I came up to a man who I'd already met. And this man, he was in a wheelchair. He was paralyzed from the neck down. Couldn't move his arms or legs. And he was a bad diabetic, so he had lost his vision. He couldn't see. And I thought to myself, how am I going to serve this man communion? I know what to do. But as I got close to him, I guess he heard me coming, and he answered my question before I could ask. He said, Chad, I'm just going to open my mouth, and I want you to drop the bread in and pour the cup in. I said, okay, I can do that. So I followed his instructions. And as soon as he finished drinking the juice... He shouted out loud so that everyone in the room that day could hear. Hallelujah. Now those of you who know Hebrew, you know that word hallelujah means the Lord be praised. Most people would have looked at that man and said, he doesn't have much to live for. He's lost his mobility. Somebody has to feed him, bathe him, take care of him. He can't see. Got to push him around all the time. That man doesn't have much to live for. He's at the end of his life. Why was that man able to say, Hallelujah, the Lord be praised? 
Because for him, Jesus was enough. Everything else that people lived for didn't matter. He had probably lost just about everything, but Jesus was enough. And for him, he still had reason to celebrate. He still had something to look forward to. He still had meaning and purpose because he had Jesus. And no matter what this world took away from him, they could not take away what Jesus has done for him and what Jesus continued to give him. Jesus was enough. See, when you listen to Jesus daily, everything else comes into focus. And I hope that you don't wait to your final days to realize that truth. I said I loved how this passage ends because something similar happens at the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 1, John, one of the three disciples that saw the transfiguration in Matthew 17, John is the last apostle living. All the apostles, other apostles, have been martyred, killed for their faith. Peter and James, they're gone. It's just John. And John is discouraged because the church is suffering. The church is being persecuted by the Roman government. And the church is hurting. John himself has been exiled as a prisoner to the island of Patmos, kind of the Alcatraz of their day. And he's alone, separated from all of his brothers and sisters around the world. John's down. John's depressed. John's discouraged. And so what John does, you know what he does as a prisoner on the island of Patmos? He worships. Revelation 1 says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And in that moment, Jesus appeared to him. And what's interesting is this Jesus is the cosmic Jesus, the Jesus that holds the world in his hands, the Jesus who is all-powerful, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This Jesus is the cosmic Jesus. But Revelation 1 tells us that among other things, this Jesus that John saw, he shined like the sun. He glowed with supernova brilliance. John has seen this before. But even though he'd seen it before, Revelation 1 says that John hits the ground again. Remember, that's what they did last time. John eats pavement in the presence of this all-powerful, mighty Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? The exact same thing he did in Matthew 17. He walked up to John, he put his hand on him and said, Do not be afraid. Get up. It's me. It's Jesus. I know I'm all-powerful. I know I'm scaring you right now. I know I'm shining like the sun. I know that I am terrifying. I get that. But guess what? I'm on your side. So I know it looks bad. I know it looks like that evil is winning. I know it looks like the world's getting the best of the church. I know it looks like that the Roman government is more powerful than God's people. I know it looks bad. I know you're discouraged. But never forget, I am with you and I am on your side. You see, the thing is, God is going to ask His people to do some tough stuff at times. And the only people that can do the difficult stuff that God is asking them to do are those who continue to listen to His Son, who follow His lead. Guys, I'm excited about the future of First Church. And I'm excited not because of what we have here or because of our history or anything like that. All that's good. But I'm excited because I know that if we're a church that makes the promise from today on that we're going to listen to Jesus and follow His lead. He'll be with us and He'll do things among us beyond our imaginations. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing what Jesus will do in your life. And I'm excited to see what God has in store for our church. But in order for us to experience all that, 
we have to ask ourselves the question, are we listening to him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to dive into your word and study it. And Father, we just pray that we can always be a people who are listening to your son. There are so many distractions out there, so many people that want to throw us off course, so many things in this world that want to discourage us. Father, may we be a people who listen to you. And though you may ask us to do some difficult things, we can do them when we're following your son, listening to him. We thank you so much for being with us, and we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.